Welcome to the second episode of the Workforce Excellence Show. I'm pleased to be joined by Joan Mulverhill, the Digitalization Lead at Siemens. We'll be talking about creativity, innovation, COVID-19 and getting back to work. Some of the things you've done, you're, you're an experienced CEO and uh, senior manager with a breadth of business experience across uh, the gamut of industry sectors, ICT, FMCG, retail, manufacturing, professional services and not-for-profit and a confident, compelling leader and communicator with exceptional critical thinking and analytical skills. That sounds, um, you know, amazing. And I sort of got to thinking, um, you know, what pursued you to take a, a career in this field? How did you end up doing those things? Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose most people wouldn't even call it a career so much <laughs> as a, a general moving around. Yeah. Um, Mine is quite a mosaic of a of a career, and I suppose that's the creative part. It's you know some people will look at a, a bunch of broken tiles and see broken tiles. Other people will piece them together and make something out of it. And I think yeah. that's kind of how my career has been. I've always just pursued roles that I found really really interesting, challenges that are interesting. Okay. And it's possible. I don't know if this is true, but it is possible that because I think in a certain way or um, creative, I kind of, uh, I don't get bound by this is who I am and this is what I do. Mm -hmm. And so you can be very adaptable because there's core skills and they are transferable to anything. So I started my career in retail. My first job was buying toys for Woolworths. And then I moved from there to, uh, into a supply chain and a bit of IT and I always got those projects, you know, the new ones. Okay. The, okay. I, I remember standing in front of the board of Woolworths in 1997, 98, right. and saying to them, yeah, we think this internet thing is really going to take off. <laughs> really? Yeah, it kind of ages me a little bit. Yeah, but we thought... But, you know, when you're young and, and, you know, I was in my early 20s and they just kind of, yeah, we'll give that to the, you know, the grad scheme people uh, to have okay. a look at, you know. And, and so then I moved from there. I lived in Amsterdam for a few years and then I came back to Ireland and I went into manufacturing because I had done a lot of buying before and negotiations. And so I ended up working for uh, Beckton Dickinson, the medical device company. Right. But I learned a huge bit about manufacturing when I was there. Right, right. come at same core skill of negotiation but on the other side of the fence and then i went there there. but the the most wild change was possibly going to bdo to you know an accountancy practice to deal with succession planning of family businesses okay but that that, was yeah that was a fascinating job because you're dealing with succession planning and the way i looked at it is well that's just helping people deal with change Mm -hmm. but what it did give me was a really amazing insight into entrepreneurs and the mind of an entrepreneur and what motivates them, what drives them. And that gives you a really solid understanding of businesses and why sometimes they make the choices that they do. I got to meet great leaders, really, you know, matriarchs and patriarchs of, you know, really successful intergenerational family businesses. And so that was a really, really great time. And then 2008 happened. Yeah, uh, right. And, right. and it happened to me. So, um, and then I, I applied for the job as CEO of the Irish Internet Association. And at the time, somebody said it to me about going to the IIA. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm interested. And then I said, what does IIA stand for? <laughs> right. And I said, I got any job. And then, so what I thought was brilliant about them was that their board were so creative that they gave a job to someone who had never really worked in tech before and okay. indeed had never been a CEO before. 
Right. And so they showed a huge amount of creativity and adaptability in finding me because it's not like there weren't loads of people I'm sure to choose from seeing that loads of us were unemployed. Right. Yeah. So and and that was my first really foray into tech. And I did that for seven or eight years. Wow. Then I went to DCU for a while and I was running a technology research center and then that was on a contract and then I finished and and then I joined Siemens and I can honestly say, and it's not because they're my current employer, but wow, it's been the most magic 18 months. Okay, like, you know, really? when you feel you place. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. That, you know, they say how you know, okay. and you found the one. I mean, I absolutely love it there. <laughs> and it's the culture. It, it absolutely. Is that right? The culture. Okay. okay. Yeah, no, no, it's, yeah. It's phenomenal. And they're just so open. What, what, what do you mean by culture? How, how does that? In what way is it this their their openness or their creativity, as you say? Is it what's the their their openness and like we have great leadership that is yeah, okay. absolutely without question. Right. Um, but I also think too, like I most people think of Siemens as this engineering company, and you can imagine I I work with a lot of engineers, yeah, and I'm not one. And in yeah. fact, I'm like the opposite. I'm like the anti-engineer, <laughs> and and yet and yet they let me be me. Okay. And and yet they had that capacity to hold this, you know, engineering bit on one side, but this creativity on the other and and, and allowing that to kind of coexist and work together and their, you know, openness for new ideas and new approaches. And I just think that's been really great, great. and it, very rewarding. Do you find that this is not uh, this is a little bit left of field, but um, it's something that just when you were talking about leadership, um, just a, a, another session I did recently about leadership and it, it came back to one of the questions was, you know, what's in it for employees? And just when you said that, then talking about innovation and things like that amongst, say, employees or engineers out on the on the floor, how do they, how do you find that they receive that? Well, well, I think one of the best examples I was ever given, I was at a masterclass one day with Kyan Kippendorf in the IMI. And uh, he said, you know, the great example of adaptive leadership was when Kennedy said, you know, we're going to put a man on the moon. Right. And meanwhile, the guys at NASA are going, we're doing what? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and then that leadership is, okay, so there's the big goal. And then trusting people to do it. Okay. Enabling people and empowering people to do it. I think that's a really, that for me is great leadership. I remember I was in a meeting in my early couple of months, I'd say, in Siemens. And right. uh, I was having a robust conversation, debate with our CEO, and and I realized, oh, this is not a test. This is someone who is genuinely inquiring to learn from me okay. and my ideas and my opinions and understand that. And like, I've learned so much from him and, and from, you know, Donal and, and Carl, like all the guys I work with. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's just this idea of, no, no, you tell me what you think. I trust you. And, you know, people talk about ownership, culture and, you know, adaptive leadership. But, you know, in the end of the day, it's empowerment and trust. And, you know, the the great leaders, I think, set the big goals and then they give freedom to people and trust to people to work out the best way of doing it. And that those people have confidence in the organization they're in to say, you know what, I don't necessarily know the answer or how to do it, but I know to do some of it. And then there's all these other people that we can draw on. Like, you know, I don't know the answer to everything or half of anything, but there's 350,000 of us. Yeah. Someone in the organization will know. 
we can get there. Yeah. We'll get there. There's no problems that are unsolvable. And I don't think you need to be a 350,000 people organization to do that. Sure, I just sure. think it's, it's part of it is that will. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think it, it sounds interesting the way you say that empowerment that, you know, you know, you can go out and give it a go. And that, yeah. you know, if there's trust, then you're going to help each other to, to achieve that goal. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, it's, I mean, I look at, I'm not going to pretend it's like a very large organization and I'm sure I could have colleagues watching this going, man, it's hard to turn, a, you know, a, yeah. a giant ship. Yeah. But, but still, you know, when you can navigate your way through and find people, the right person, yeah. and everyone is willing to help you. Everyone wants to help you. So it's just a case of navigating that and then just moving forward from there. Fantastic. Um, I think now maybe I might just move a little forward onto sort of current trends or issues, if you like, and um, just sticking on that topic of, of innovation. Um, you know, how has uh, innovation and being adaptive helped companies during COVID-19? What, what have you seen in companies um, where um, innovation and being adaptive has helped? Well, I think certainly a lot of companies have helped the situation and uh, have really put shoulders to the wheel to use that very trite expression. But, you know, when you see companies like O'Neill's in Northern Ireland who have diversified from making, you know, sports kits um, to making PPE and and big companies like Under Armour have done it. And now they've come out with masks for athletes. But, you know, even in Siemens, we've done it as well. You know, we did our own ventilator challenge within Siemens. But, you know, you've got companies like CombiLift combi lift who make forklifts yeah yeah you know and they've actually done come up with this innovation where actually now one ventilator can actually support two patients at the same time okay you, companies like dyson who are suddenly in the ventilator business everything has changed and and i think organizations have looked have not been bound by but this is what we do and mm-hmm. that was something that goes back to the the art principles and one of the there was this conceptual artist called Solowit and he wrote these 35 sentences on art okay this is going somewhere yeah. and <laughs> I like a nerd took all 35 and translated them into how they apply to business and it is phenomenal really the parallels okay it's, it's just the same it's just amazing conceptual art and innovation and how the artist works or how the creative or the innovator works in an organization, the parallels are freaky. But one of the sentences was that, you know, if an artist is bound by the connotations of their discipline, they will never be moved beyond that. And that great art breaks boundaries. So for example, if a sculptor says, I'm a sculptor, that's what I do. They'll never move beyond that or they'll never, take chances or they get very very banned by these are the rules so if you look at art and and every great artist the breakthrough ones like this is how we paint well then we'd never have had the impressionists and then and actually impressionists were groundbreaking at the time and now we just look at them and they're very sweet and then you know then you've got like cubism and i'm going okay that's so you know different to where they come from and yet picasso had started off Yep. you know, around that same time. So it's all about breaking boundaries and not getting caught in the connotations of this is what we do and we're always going to do what, we, what we've what we done because that doesn't break yeah. boundaries. It doesn't and, and sorry, did you, did you say you created these links or did you just... Did so you... I read I read the art ones yep. and then I 
translated them all into business. Oh, I'll, I'll send them to you. Would you? I'll would you share them? Because I think yeah. that'd be fascinating. I really, I really do. Yeah. yeah. And so, so this idea, when I started thinking about it and going, well, what if Combi Lift had just said, we make forklifts? Yeah. Okay. Like it's, it's not as much of a leap maybe to go from sports kit to PPE, but it's, it's quite a heck of a lift, you know, a, yeah. a diversion to go from a forklift to a ventilator. Yeah. You think it, it yeah, definitely. And, and not to be bound by, you know, so even Siemens, for example, huge tradition in as an engineering company. Yeah, yeah for sure. But, but that's not who we are. It's part of who we are. But we're on this journey, too. So we've moved completely towards digitalization okay. and say, right, OK, we were at the forefront of the Industrial Revolution and the fourth Industrial Revolution is digital. OK. And and so we have every right to be there right but yep. the need the, the answer to how we solve the problem has changed okay so we know industry and infrastructure so well and we used to solve it this way but now we're going to solve it this way because our our core understanding of that market is still there and we know how we can shape it so i think that's so we're on that journey too and we've made you know obviously loads of progress in terms of if you look at you know things that we've applied even in in a covid situation so our digital twin for example in a manufacturing environment yep. suddenly you can map out how people are moving around a factory floor so you can manage you know social distancing in a in a manufacturing environment sure. now i you, i know you don't want this to be a pitch for siemens so i'm not going to say any more about no, that, that, but, that's okay. that's... but it's, it's just you know everybody every organization is on is on I this. think it's interesting that you've said um, that, you know, you have a right to be there. In, in other words, you're a leader in one field. If that translates, then why would you not um, say we why have every right you, to be there? Yeah, we have every right to be there. And I think one of the things that the last couple of months have shown us is that, you know, it's somebody described it recently as a time machine. And okay. we've actually had this while the situation has been shocking and, mm -hmm. and terribly sad and but it has also given us a glimpse of the future. We've gotten to see, it's been a crystal ball to 2025. Mm -hmm. So all the people who said, oh, you know, remote working will never really be a thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll, we won't all be working from home and look using, you know, virtual reality to do training or to do sightings. It'll never, ha it, it has happened. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that crystal ball, we've seen now what 2025 looks like. And people talk about going back to work or the new normal. There's no back to work. Well, first of us, most of us, you know, are still working. Well, the ones who are still working right. still have exactly. their jobs. Exactly. And and there was always that line, you know, work is a thing you do, not a place you go. Now it really is a thing you do and not a place you go. So we've seen the future and now we've got time to prepare for it. Some of us have managed to make those changes very, very quickly. And other people are going to be when they get back into that physical space, will be able to respond to this. But I think. For me, you know, if you look at the market, where is it going to be in 10 years time? How are you going to be solving the, the problems of the future for your customers? Mm -hmm. The market is going to change completely. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I often think about is like we, we always think that, you know, people are rational and, you know, everything is kind right. of sequential. Yeah. But if that was the case, nothing would really ever dramatically change. And yet it does, mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes it takes a global pandemic and sometimes it just takes a breakthrough disruptor, a business 
that just a startup who, when we talk about, do you have the right to do it? Startups have the right to do nothing and they do it anyway. Do it. And that's <laughs> the great thing. Stop yeah. looking for permission, you know? And so they disrupt. And I think businesses have the opportunity now to say, right, okay, are we going to be the disruptor or are we going to be the disrupted? Okay. And, you know, if you're going to be the, the disruptive, the disrupted, then you're putting yourself in a vulnerable position because yeah. you're following the market. And and actually, the, the disruptors, uh, the people who follow the crazy ideas, they have the, they have an awful lot to gain and everyone else is playing catch up. So I just think, you know, we look at businesses and I don't think you have to be a startup to be a disruptor. Okay. I think there's amazing entrepreneurs that we work with. Is it a little bit of a rebellious type of a thought process is there is there something rebellious about that in a sense well actually that's really funny you should say that and, and again back to Solowitz and the artist and he oh, talks right. about you know um irrationality okay and artists conceptual artists are fundamentally irrational right, and yet yeah. you know you think of all the irrational people you've ever worked with yeah. and then you know that deep down you thought they were possibly a genius yeah yeah of course and, you know so um they they tend to make things happen and they tend not to care so much about the judgment of, of others. Okay. Um, okay. It's because because you don't apply the same kind of critique to it. They just yeah, power okay. through. Yeah, and yeah. but again, that all comes down to that leadership and that culture thing. And you know, yeah, like companies, all businesses have to. You know, we all have to have a certain amount of checks and balances, and we all have to, yeah, you know, sure. hit targets and numbers. You know, this is the real world. Yeah. But yeah. we can do that in a in a culture of creativity that gives people this sense of ownership for where we're all going and, and participation in that. Yeah, sure. That's fantastic. I, I must definitely get the, um, that off you because I would thoroughly enjoy that. Uh, yeah, there's one that says it's really hard to bungle a great idea. It's hard to what? Really hard to bungle a great idea. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah, that was one of them. And actually, that's also true. A great idea you know, can't, can't poorly be. executed is still a great idea. Okay. Yeah. But a boring idea, meticulously executed, is still a boring idea. Okay. Right. It doesn't matter how how, how well you it polish it. It doesn't matter how finely <laughs> polished it is. It's still blur. And you know, I think you know a brilliant idea. If you think about if you think about the born and the internet companies, the technology companies. Yeah. They all released in beta mode. Yeah, yep. The brilliant idea is beta mode. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just get it done. Yeah, okay. You're right. Absolutely. And, and when we look at the, the previous iterations of the world, you know, pre all of that, we were always striving for perfect. Yeah, and okay. we will release it to the market when it's absolutely perfect. And that's because it was a physical thing. So you don't go into production unless it's right. Yeah, okay. But in the a digital digitalized digital. world, you know, you can, you can release in beta mode. Mm -hmm. And that's a very different mindset yeah that's interesting isn't it because you know you can go back and patch and, and you improve can very quickly patch, you can do an upgrade you can do a little although i still can't figure out why instagram haven't come up with an edit function yeah okay <laughs> something will be. Um, but i'll tell you something i've done before is um you know because i don't do a lot of handwriting anymore of course is made a mistake and for a very 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 split second I've tried to go back or hit a, you know, control yeah. Z, control Z, or what do you know, to go back. Go, no, this is paper and pen. I can't go. I can't delete it. I, you know what I mean? I am a big fan of paper and pen. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like, I mean, I, yeah, I, I generally tend to. I write everything down. I think it helps me commit things to memory. Yeah. Okay. It's that texture, maybe that. Yeah, and and it's possibly how I made. You know, the fact that I paint or yeah, sew true. or crochet or whatever it is I'm doing with my hands, constantly true. making something. How does that? How did that come about? Me painting. Yeah. Ah, uh, so I've painted all my life. I've always drawn or painted. I've always I was that kid, and then um, you know, you get older and you put it aside, and right. you kind of forget about it, and you keep thinking you'll go back to it, you'll go back to it, and and then time goes on and you don't, and then you just you keep your hand in like every so often. Right, right. Want to do something, and then I really started applying myself to it about three or four years ago. Okay. And and now I just do it all the time, and and it made me. That's what gave me this idea that actually, you know, it's just like any muscle in your, you know, in your body. It's sure. just practicing and training that creative part of your brain. And, you know, like not everybody who goes to the gym all the time is going to necessarily compete in the Olympics, but you've got to get to a level of fitness. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't think everybody, including myself in this, is going to be, you know, a famous artist, you know, yeah. a really successful one. But it doesn't mean you can't do it and enjoy it. And it doesn't mean you can't get to a level of creative fitness that yeah. helps. And that actually contributes to your life in a very full way. It yeah. makes me better at my job. It was interesting when I saw you talking because I naturally made the assumption you're a business type of a person, you know, just when I, when I briefly looked at you and I, and I thought that's really unusual talking about creativity, you know, because that's, you know, that was something that was a little bit unexpected to be honest with you. So it's, it's because my mother is a maths, physics, and chemistry teacher. Right. And when I wanted to do art in university, she said, "No, yeah. go and get, uh, go and do a sensible degree, yeah. and uh, you can have that as your hobby." And so I did a sensible degree, and I studied commerce and marketing. And right, right. um, and yeah, and I've worked in business all my life, and you know, I am, I have my day job is my career. Yeah. And you know, but I also paint, and it's actually, um. The balance now that I've got between the two of those is really good. And I, I think what's really interesting about working for Siemens is they are fully aware of the fact that I paint. I put paintings up on LinkedIn. Do you? Right, right. But they're really supportive. And okay. and I actually think, you know, I even look at our own CEO, Gary O'Callaghan, is CEO of Siemens in Ireland. Right. And he has posted poetry right. on LinkedIn in the last couple of months. And it's really, really good. And we were talking about it. And I just said, you know, it says so much more about who we are as an organization that, you know, one of the people who works in Siemens in Ireland paints and the other one is writing poetry. And, you know, it's, it's about an, having an organization that has a soul and yeah, we engineer brilliant things, but it is yeah. creative approach to doing all of that. To doing all, yeah, great. That's fantastic. It's actually, um, as I said, from, from my perspective, it's interesting to hear people are of course returning to work, whether it be remotely or, um, back on the factory floor in the office whatever just with from your experience how do you think that these businesses can now adapt and do better when they do return to work i think uh, one of the things that's changed fundamentally particularly for remote working is the style and manner in which we manage people okay you know in terms of that traditional mindset of our office hours are nine until five or whatever mm -hmm. and there's that clocking in and it's like that visibility and presenteeism and all of that and and seeing and there's a, there's an old kind of school of you know command control and that 
yeah. you know, and everyone's here, and we're all ready for work, and this is where we do it. And actually, I think remote working has required a huge amount of trust and also mm-hmm. required a huge amount, a much more focus on what is being delivered, what has been the outcome. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that drives productivity. Okay. Because I'm focused on delivering my outcome, not clocking up hours. Yeah. Okay. You know? And and I think we you know we all talk about healthy work life balance. I'm I have no fear in saying here that my dishwasher is empty. Because I got that done this morning, you know, while I was on the phone to a colleague, you know, that can happen. So actually, when I'm finished work, I get more immediate downtime. I'm not commuting up and down. So yeah. actually, I think work-life balance is going to improve dramatically uh-huh. for people who are remote working, as long as the the leadership and management supports that. The, the harder part is actually for people who are struggling with work-life balance from working from home is that they don't know when to stop. Yeah, okay. I, I was probably lucky in that I worked from home a little bit anyway. So I had a good r- routine and rhythm for how to do it. And for other people, it's been completely new. And obviously, people are trying to juggle kids with all of that as well. This is an empty house. It's just me. So, you know, it's a bit easier. Yeah. But, um, you know, as kids go back to school, it'll be easier. But management style, certainly, focus on outcomes. Um, uh, and then still managing to maintain. And I know... Our own CEO, Gary, is very conscious of this, is how we maintain that esprit de corps, that kind of yeah. team spirit if, you know, we haven't seen each other in a long time. Mm-hmm. So uh, our head of sales there recently, we had a Friday beer and pizza evening. And okay. we just all just dialed in on Teams. Okay. It's just chat, you know. Something informal and is that, yeah. Just informal, just on a Friday evening. It was the bank holiday weekend, and it was just like, let's get together and have a chat. So how do we work around things like that? Now, that's the fun side in a way, but there is there is the, 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 the serious side of all of that is, you know, people's mental well-being, work-life balance, um, resource orientation, all of those things will change. What else in terms of people going back? Well, obviously, we have to manage social distancing in a new world one of the things that you know it's been a really great uh window for us in terms of digital twin mm-hmm. and uh, companies being able to actually map their production line mm-hmm. twin a virtual version of that so we can see actually these are the points at which people are intersecting the most okay. so what can we adapt here and then reflect and and do a, a, a virtual version of that before we deploy in the real world. Yeah, so, right. so there's opportunities for technology. I know I couldn't possibly get off this this podcast without you know referencing the importance of security. Yep. In a in a new world, and you know people are accessing work on you know devices at home. We all have to be hyper vigilant now in terms of security and phishing and, you know, even through social media as well, social engineering, all of that, if we move to co-working spaces, you know, closer to our home. So all of those things certainly will come to the fore, I think, in a new world. Sure. But in terms of innovation in the going back, companies are going to do stuff that they probably didn't think they'd ever have to do. So there's restaurants, you know, around Ireland now who are delivering, Yeah. who have never and they're delivering dinner kits. They're not delivering, you know, I'm ordering a pizza. Here's a pizza. I'm ordering an Indian. They're giving you the elements of it, and you must assemble that burger yourself with a <laughs> set of instructions. <laughs> so, kind of cooking, kind of not. 
So, but they did that. That's interesting. And they've just turned, taken that. So, yeah. and, they, and they've turned that around really quickly. Yeah. And then there's companies who, there was one company I noticed, they used to do display stands for exhibitions. Okay. I don't think exhibitions will be happening anytime <laughs> soon. For a little while, yeah. But they've been making the little kits to go into classrooms for dividers so that children can go back yeah, to class safely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so there's a lot of people who have said, okay, well, actually, what else can we do with the core skills that we've got? Some of those are product lines that they would probably would never have done before but might choose to continue mm -hmm. there will be others in terms of for example the hotel industry there'll be no more buffet breakfasts you know mm. it'll all come in packs or served to your table you know that convenience element so those businesses will be harder i think you know hotels and stuff like that because they do what they do yeah and yeah. uh but for anyone for industry i think it'll be really interesting in terms of an opportunity to do that 2025 crystal ball we got a glimpse actually and they've learned a lot about where they were weaker yeah okay you know yep. i mean yep. we can all come out of this and say right okay that was awful and then there's other companies who come out of it and pat themselves in the back going yay weren't we great yeah but there yep. will be businesses who come out of that and say come out of this and they'll say do you know what we learned a lot we're still here but we've learned how you know, our current setup has restricted us or how we weren't able to adapt as quickly as others. Sure, what sure. do we need to do now to make ourselves ready, not for the next COVID-19, but for the realities of the market is always moving. Just being and in business, yeah. Being in business means how are what are customers going to want from us 10 years from now? It's a great company in Northern Ireland that I met just before all of this happened yeah called uh, gt exhausts okay. and they make exhausts for cars right, right totally sensible business to be in mm -hmm. except that uh, in 10 years time electric cars don't have exhausts yeah okay so that's business who has to look and say right okay what are the what are the connotations of our painting or sculpture tradition of that art yeah, yeah, and yeah. How different what are we going to do differently well we can't make exhausts anymore but what can we do? What are our core skills and how can we apply that in a different direction? Uh -huh, sure. So there's loads of interesting challenges for businesses that are coming down the tracks. And, you know, in the end of the day, like sustainability is another one. COVID forced, forced us all to focus on, you know, health. Mm -hmm. But Greta was telling us for the last couple of years, act like your house is on fire. And then COVID happened. Go, okay, the house is on fire. This is how we react. Yeah. This is how we, we went to lockdown. We did exactly what we were supposed to do. The house is on fire. Evacuate. Everyone go home. Stay there. The planet is still, you know, we're, we're still on that trajectory. So what are we going to do? So we do have the ability to, to address these. We do. So um, something is really urgent. We will. So now we're at this point. Well, they're forming a government, it would appear. <laughs> today <laughs> or tomorrow. And, you know, we're... These questions are all going to have to be faced by this country, but but also globally. Yeah. And they're the really interesting challenges in terms of, well, what are we going to do in terms of sustainability? What yeah. are we going to do in terms of the environment and how can we do things better? So, I mean, obviously, because I work in Siemens, I, uh, I'm i really excited. Like, I mean, for me, agri-food business is just fascinating. Yeah, okay. It, it's my inner farmer. My dad's a farmer, so right I'm a bit, right. bit biased. But um, 
yeah, like there's so many opportunities for innovation there. There's so many, uh, so many challenges to overcome. But in the end, policy, society, technology, they, all of those things. Well, it's almost like we can't say it's too hard now, you know, I mean. Well, we can't say it's too hard and, and, and we can't say it's, it's on the never never, like, you know, it'll never happen. Those elements, economics, the, the policy, economics, society and technology, uh-huh. something will budge right. and something will change. And, and all of the dominoes can fall at the same time in a particular direction or some of them will speak louder than others. Society will influence policy before policy even happens, you know, okay. in terms of our behaviours around, you know, sustainability and the environment and stuff like that. But one way or the other, things will change. That is absolutely certain. And it won't necessarily be a nice, rational, incremental thing because none of us 20 years ago thought we'd be here doing this today. No. And I'm pretty sure in 10 years' time, none of us can really imagine what that's going to look like either. But you can be sure it's going to be different. I think you're right. It's a bit, little bit like the your crystal wall analogy. I mean, we've had a glimpse of um, of the future, not just from business, but you know, society in a way. So yeah. um, that's probably a good approach to take. Yeah. And, and that they're the kind of challenges, they're the kind of problems that I want to be solving. Okay. Like I want to be working with companies like that. You know, that drives say, you, obviously. Yeah, yeah. That's what's more exciting. Yeah. You know, you, everybody is looking for purpose. And, mm-hmm. you know, and we spend so much time at work. I, I like the idea that I get excited about what I'm doing and working with businesses who are on that goal. And, and, and you know, that's the one thing Gary explained it so beautifully the other day, this, you know, adaptive leadership where we're talking about, you know, a brick goes through your window. That's a, that's a technical functional problem. I know what to do there. Okay. Yeah. I can take the lead and order a window. But adaptive leadership is more about saying there's a problem with ASBOs, you know, antisocial behavior in our area. So I recognize that there's a problem, but I'm not exactly sure how yet I'm going to solve it. Right, right. And that's where adaptive leadership really comes into play. This is I'm going to set the goal and I'm going to hold that tension there and I'm going to work with the people in our organization to figure out what's the best way of solving it uh-huh. and they're great questions they're great companies to be able to go in and work with and we don't have all the answers either and that's why we talk so much about co-creation yeah okay and and that's where our our how we function as a company has changed so much because of course an engineer will generally say well spec it out and I'll go off solve the problem and come back and let you know what the answer is this is not how we do this now. You know, okay. digitalization is much more co-designed, okay. co-created, where we collectively solve problems. We bring our expertise, they bring theirs, and we and we work it out together. And I think that's lovely. Yeah. Do you think that's a, that's a, a longer process or it's just a necessary part of the way things are now? Well, I think it's, it's part of how things are, and I think it's more about how companies choose to work now as well. Okay. I mean... The word agile was held to ransom as a methodology, but yeah. the principle of agile is still, you know, this idea that there's not a central command control thing, but it's like we are all owners of this problem yeah. in a way. Well, there's a product owner, a project owner, but it's not a project manager sense. It's like we, we will agree how to move forward to the next step to the next step. And that is that um, that is that life in beta. 
Well, that was Joan Melverhill sharing her wealth of knowledge with us. Really appreciate having her on the show. You can view more episodes that are upcoming over the next few weeks and learn about Involve Solutions at involvegroup.com. But that's it for me. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Thank you.